Work, workforce, and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences. From sensational headlines, like The Great Resignation, to successful series, like The Office and Silicon Valley, to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds, what we see shapes what we believe. Let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work, and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere. Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll meet the author, speaker, and serial entrepreneur who is building healthier individuals and communities through innovation. Leading change doesn't have to be a tough pill to swallow, according to our next guest. Please join me in welcoming to the show, John Bass, CEO and founder of Hashed Health. Welcome to the show, John. Thanks, Karen. Glad to be here. Because we talk about work on the show, one question I like to ask every guest is, what was your first paying job and how did that job inform or inspire your career trajectory? <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, my first job was working in a picking tobacco one summer uh, in, uh, in high school. <laughs> Actually, I was, I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. And so especially back then, this was in the gosh, early nineties, Nashville was a pretty small city and you, you didn't have to go too far outside of town to find farms. And so we spent a lot of time kind of outside and, and I, uh, with a couple of friends of mine, took a farm job one summer. Man, talk about hard work. That's about the hardest, stickiest, dirtiest job you can find, picking tobacco and hanging it in the barn. And I think I did learn to work hard and I can really attribute a lot of the success in my career to working harder than the people around me, which and communicating well and, 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 you know, to, to kind of like being able to ladder up in the different jobs I had early in my career. I didn't become an entrepreneur until my mid twenties when I just happened to <clears throat> stumble into a job with a startup during kind of the early e-commerce internet B2B stuff. So I, I, I kind of got lucky and, and, but I think, you know, all of that the kind of learning to work hard created a foundation for being able to be successful uh, later in my career. And being an entrepreneur, like being a farmhand is hands-on work. I mean, you do have to roll up your sleeves and dive into the details. I'm curious, what was it about the startup world that appealed to you? Well, I, I think I, I've learned that I over, it took me a while to kind of figure out what I was good at. You know, honestly, tried a lot of different things. I was a I taught for a little while. I was did research for a while. You know, I, I kind of I thought I was going to go to med school and <clears throat> decided that wasn't for me. And I got into technology and I, you know, I got a job at Vanderbilt Medical Center after I decided. And that's where I kind of went when I was thinking about med school. And I decided and I was hanging out in the division of trauma with a bunch of surgeons and doctors and nurses who really showed me what it meant to devote your life to medicine in that way. And I decided I, I didn't, I didn't have that in me, honestly, but at the same time, I really found this, this interesting technology 
area that I wanted to focus on. This was in the late 90s. So it was right as the dot-com stuff was starting to happen. And so there was this introduction of a, a disruptive new technology. And I started, I built one of Vanderbilt's first websites. I started kind of really thinking about what the internet could do for uh, healthcare and all of the kind of processes and administrative activities around healthcare and just became kind of obsessed with with kind of how the technology could drive uh, improve healthcare and drive collaboration so that we could solve some of the problems we were having at the time and really <clears throat> that focus led me to uh, joining a startup and working hard and and kind of uh, developing my career that laddered up to becoming a chief operating officer, well, first product manager, then chief operating officer, then CEO, and then founder of my own company. So it took a while. <laughs> it took, you know, you hear all these stories about, you know, <clears throat> successful entrepreneurs who, who kind of have an idea in college and go start, start something without a whole lot of real world experience. Well, that was not me. You know, I, I didn't really become a, a founder and operator of startups until uh, later in my career. To borrow those lyrics, the long and winding road. And mm. it makes me think of that phrase overnight success. You know, what we often see is that glamorized story of idea to impact being popularized as a path where the founder had such clarity, knew exactly what needed to be created, and they were on their path to success. And more often than not, for all of us, what we do to be successful is a process of discovery. And speaking of which, I'm curious what inspired you to discover and to found Hashed Health and tell listeners more about what you do. Yeah. So, you know, I was fortunate to, as I mentioned, be a part of a couple startups that ultimately did did well. You know, the through line of my career before Hashed was trying to use technology to drive collaboration in healthcare. A lot of the healthcare's big problems relate to just failures to collaborate. And a lot of it has to do with data sharing, multi-party kind of business process optimization, things like that. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of the cost and access challenges that we see in healthcare today are just kind of collaboration issues. And so, the B2B work we were doing at impacthealth.com, which became GHX, was bringing together a network of, of providers and suppliers to basically improve the supply chain. <clears throat> so rather than kind of phoning and faxing everything, we started using the internet and we started creating these networks where all the members of the network kind of joined this flywheel of efficiency <clears throat> that was gained through the use of this technology. You know, the hard part about that was not technical. It was really changing how people work together, you know, changing the way people think about a trading partner relationship and thinking about shared value rather than losing a com some kind of competitive edge. And I think that's true with a lot of use cases in healthcare still today. And, you know, then I, I grew up with GHX and left there after about nine or 10 years to help start another company called VivaLink, which was around care management for orthopedic episodes of care. So how do we kind of put an envelope around the episode of care so that surgeons and their clinics and the hospital and all the people in the hospital and the post-acute providers and the patient can all kind of work together and create shared value and shared outcomes and shared economic interest um, and alignment. And so, and that's a better way to deliver 
an episode of care, like a knee replacement or hip replacement versus kind of everybody doing their own little thing and not talking to each other, which is the way it's kind of always been. And so that shift from kind of fee-for-service healthcare to value-based or bundled healthcare is something I focused on at that company, which we grew up and sold after about five years. And so I've really, you know, because of the, my experience using the internet early on and bringing together networks and thinking about Michael Porter's kind of shared value principles, that's been kind of the, the through line throughout those companies that I was a part of. And so I started Hashed with a real focus on blockchain and healthcare, although we've kind of evolved, that's still part of what we do, but we've all evolved way beyond just blockchain and healthcare. But the focus at the early stages of Hashed was using kind of this blockchain distributed ledger architecture as an operating system for collaboration and trust and transparency and incentive alignment for healthcare businesses and, and patients and doctors. That idea of collaboration, you know, when I started getting into the blockchain space in the in the crypto space in about 2014, 2015, I really started to recognize the power of that technology and other technologies to as a new framework, a new design space for solving these issues related to collaboration and trust and transparency and alignment in healthcare that I've been wrestling with throughout my career. And so that was really kind of I, I, I thought in 2015 that I stumbled onto a secret that no one else knew. And, you know, I felt like I had found this 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 hidden gem, and I just had to do something with it. And so I left HCA, I left Invivalink, where I was running HCA, uh, Invivalink as a subsidiary of HCA, and and started Hashed. And, and since then, we've just been doing a lot of discovery and delivery work in a couple different modalities, you know, over the last six or seven years. And we've evolved into a venture studio, <clears throat> which uh, we're excited to now be kind of really running with hard. And it's it's uh, it's been a it's been a blast. Improved healthcare experience is a collaboration challenge to be solved. I love what you're saying there. And we can all relate to the experience of the feeling that doctors aren't talking to one another or somebody prescribes a medication that interferes with something else. And we've thought to ourselves, why can't these providers all be connected so we can have the best care experience and reduce the burden on the patient to be their own advocate and a mini medical expert to get to that desired outcome of improved health? What I want to explore a little bit further, you pitched out some terms that might be newer to some of our listeners. Explain both blockchain and venture studios in a way that my soon-to-be 100-year-old <laughs> grandfather could understand. A, a blockchain is basically a distributed ledger. And so what that means, it's a shared database. It's just it's, what distributed means, it's shared across a bunch of different participants and a ledger means it's a, just a chronological log of events or transactions or data that the that the network participants are all interested in. And so traditionally, like Bitcoin is kind of what people think about when they think about a crypto asset or a digital asset or something that's being tracked on a blockchain. And, and Bitcoin is just a packet of data that represents value to a community. And it can be tracked on this chronological ledger. So everyone knows the state of that asset. They know who owns it and they know that it was sold from this person to this person. So what blockchain does, it, 
it enables, if there's one thing that you need to remember, blockchains enable ownership of digital assets. Okay, and so the community of people who are members of this community all understand who owns this digital thing. And that digital thing can be a cryptocurrency or in the healthcare space, it can be a claim moving through a claims life cycle. It can be a patient, a representation of a patient moving through a patient, uh, episode of care. It can be a supply moving through a supply chain. <clears throat> it can be a lot of different things, whatever the community wants to track collectively. And so that's why I say <clears throat> blockchains are a great um, operating system for trust and transparency and alignment is because for the first time we have these shared data structures where everyone understands what is true about a digital asset, however that's represented uh, as a community, they're all on the same page and there's this kind of a shared source of truth. And there's no, you know, you can do the blockchains in different ways, but there's, there's no, you know, if you, if you do a true blockchain, it's owned by the community. So there's no like third party who's abusing the, the members of this network. So it's very, it can be like community owned and operated, which is really um, interesting. So it's kind of borderless and publicly verifiable and, and trusted. So there's lots of different, you know, blockchain means different things to different people, but generally that's why I became interested in it because I started thinking about all these issues related to collaboration and data sharing where everyone's kind of protective of their data, but we need to move this data around in order to make it meaningful and to solve these problems. And blockchain to me seemed like this really interesting new design space where we could create business unique and innovative business models. And I can give you some examples of that. So that's one thing. So Venture Studios are an, a new way of innovating. It, it, it basically is, a, is what we do as a Venture Studio is we, we have ideas around how to solve big problems in healthcare. And, and most of the work at Hashed involves creating networks where there's need for trust and transparency and incentive alignment and data sharing in order to solve a big problem that hasn't been solved before. And there's lots of these in healthcare. And so uh, whether we use a blockchain or not, those are the, the types of projects that we tend to gravitate towards. And so we have a, lots of ideas. They're in supply chain, they're in workforce issues, they're in payments and fintech. They're in identity and credentialing, um, marketplaces, data exchanges. There's lots of different kind of ideas here. And so what we do is we take those ideas <clears throat> and we move them through a process of discovery and delivery activities. And so every studio has a process of discovery and delivery. And the goal is to bring resources, kind of expertise to the beginning of that process so that you do a really thorough job of validating that idea before you go and waste a bunch of time and money hiring teams and raising money and recruiting advisory boards and all this stuff that startups do. And in my career and in a lot of other people's careers, you know, you kind of do all that really early in the process and then you and then you realize you don't have product market fit after you launch the company. And I think I've just gotten lucky in my career by having successes. But, you know, 90 percent of startups fail and a lot of them fail because they don't understand the space they're getting into. You know, entrepreneurs are dreamers. They kind of fall in love with a dream and they just kind of go after it. And that's that's awesome. And we need that. And I, I'm I'm a I do that, too. 
but it's really important to take those dreams and validate them before you go and, and spend a bunch of time and resources uh, building a company. And so studios really strive to take an idea, really validate it internally and externally, do a lot of prototyping, do a lot of business modeling, and make sure that you're not building something the world's not, you know, the world's ready for. You, you know, a lot of the companies who started, for example, blockchain companies when I started Hashed in 2016 are dead now because they went all in on like medical records on the blockchain versus we kind of stayed very flexible and we really listened to the market and we only built the things that we knew were valid. And so by the time you see us, we moved through kind of this process of discovery and delivery, discovery meaning validation, delivery meaning building the product, recruiting a team, recruiting customers, recruiting investors. So by the time you see us spin out a company, we we have kind of all those boxes checked. We have a backable, fundable co-founder who's going to run the company. We have uh, customers who are going to use a product. We have a product that we know works. We have a business model that's been validated. And we have investors who are excited to support the commercialization of the new the new company. And so that serves, that process of discovery and delivery serves to kind of maximize the value and minimize the risk at the seed stage of a new organization. So that's what a, that's what a venture studio does, at least for Hash. That's what we strive to do. Did you know that 68% of workers say a hybrid workplace is their preference? Make hybrid work for everyone with Robin. Robin is the industry-leading flexible workplace platform for connecting people with rooms, desks, and each other. We've helped companies like Peloton, Toyota, and Hulu build better workplace experiences. Plus, we integrate with the tools you already know and love. To learn more about how we make flexible work a reality, visit www.robinpowered.com. What I'm hearing you say is the best ideators and innovators who create viable businesses are flexible within a framework meaning we want to explore ideas and there needs to be some framework in place to make sure that to use your words, there's a ready-made market of both investors and customers to consume that idea. And often flexible within a framework begins with core values or beliefs and reconnecting with those. And you've got six core beliefs that are important to you. Tell us more about those. Our our kind of foundational beliefs are, are largely around. I'll pick out a couple that are really important. I think you know there's some of these things that you see on on everyone's beliefs, but the ones that I think are unique and important is this idea of radical collaboration is a big one. You know, we we think that radical collaboration is really required in order to solve the big problems that we want to solve. And we're taking big swings. We're not building you know dog walking apps here. We're we're building things that really affect patients and, and really improve kind of the efficiency and, and decrease the cost and improve access to, to care for lots and lots of people. This is what we do. And, and so we don't think you can do that without thinking very differently and thinking via radical collaboration, new and innovative ways to bring constituents and healthcare together <clears throat> to solve foundational healthcare problems and create shared value through these communities and these networks. So that's one. Uh, another one is, you know, this kind of idea around endurance and evolution. And, you know, there's there's things that I have fallen in love with, like these ideas. If you run an honest validation process, then you're going to you're going to have your heart broken 
because the world is just not ready for some of these really great ideas that you have. And I can think of several of these over over the last six years where I'm like, I know this is the right thing to do. I think we should build it now. But then we did begin a validation process and it just is hard. Either we can't find the right co-founder or we can't get like the minimal viable network of constituents to join that network. You know, we, we have one constituent or two, like for example, a, a pharma company is really excited, but the payer is just not even interested. And so we have to like put things on a shelf or shoot them in the head because the world's just not ready for them and we're just not quite there yet. And so this idea of endurance and evolution is kind of like something that we think about a lot as a core value. And, and how do we in, how do we have endurance? How do we like think very long term, but think about bridges from today's world to our dreamy futures? And how do we evolve our thinking through feedback from the market? And so a lot of it are things that you talk about a lot, Karen. It's, it's learning mindset. It's how do you come in every day and really listen and learn and evolve your thinking and create enduring companies. And so those are a couple beliefs that I think are important to our success at Hashed and where a lot of the decisions we make and a lot of the things we do in our process kind of fall from those core beliefs. Thank you for bringing up mindset because it would be so easy for people to look at a heavily regulated industry like healthcare and resign themselves to the belief that you can't evolve something, especially with technology that's got so much regulation tied to it. And yet you're innovating in that space. And I want to come back to something that you said, which is thinking about partnerships and partnering differently. Every individual and every organization can benefit from that wisdom. How do you step back and assess the partners that you need to be successful and build the kind of compelling business case that gets them excited to participate with you or at least show up for a conversation? Well, I think it depends on the specific use case, you know, and, and you know, there's a difference between like B2B and B2C and it, it is hard in healthcare, you know, like healthcare, we've been really good at kind of the status quo and we've kind of built a, a model of healthcare that, that is working as designed. You know, the design is, you know, for example, <clears throat> If you look at the top publicly traded companies by revenue, you know, 15 years ago, there were no healthcare companies on that list. Now there are eight. The eight that are on there are these <clears throat> pretty kind of big legacy pipeline businesses. They kind of look like dinosaurs compared to the rest of the companies on like the Apples and Googles and, and others. And so, you know, what I would say is all of the innovation that's been going into healthcare and a lot of the stuff that I've done, honestly, and, and before hashed, focuses on what Clayton Christensen would say is is efficiency or uh, sustaining innovations. And so they've really all the innovation has largely gone towards making those big organizations that are focused on kind of the old healthcare world more efficient and more sustainable, and kind of reinforcing the status quo. And so that's been working, but it's also been driving up the cost of care to where we're like 20% of GDP. And so it's, it's kind of on an unsustainable pathway. So we believe that we're entering kind of a golden age of healthcare innovation now because costs are kind of out of control. Re regulatory kind of forces are starting to really kind of drive consumerism and drive kind of employer engagement. 
they're driving things like the chain, like the move from fee for service to value based care, where you're changing how people get paid, which is a real driver 